When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail in the Coffin, Tom Valentino, Travis Uli. We are part of the world-famous Evergreen Podcast Network on Thursday night. The Ohio State University Buckeyes are going to open their season at Minnesota. This weekend, we get a full week one slate of college football games. And to help us get ready, certified friend of the show, Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Bill, are you ready for some football? Oh, yeah. And thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's good to get a, you know, not talk about expansion or playoff realign, you know, realign, realignment, expansion, transfer portal. I'm ready for some games, and we finally have. We got a little taste last weekend, but we get the real thing with five matchups this weekend. It's going to be really good. Well, I know Trev has a whole lot of things he wants to get to here. So in the spirit of the season, I've won the coin toss. I'm going to defer to the second half. Trev, where do you want to start? So I guess let's start with the uh, with the home team. Since we want to talk a little bit, let's preview what we have coming up here. It's a little weird, I guess, that Ohio State is starting on a Thursday and that they're starting in conference play against Minnesota. Obviously, we're used to that, like, cash grab against some local MAC team or whoever it is um, at home to start the season before they uh, lead into, you know, whoever their – typically their premier week two or week three team is. Um any reason to think that um, Ohio State will start out 0-1, um, first of all? Second, is there any reason – I'm going to assume that you're going to say no there, but um, any reason to think that um, someone will strongly challenge Ohio State this season? Well, the first question is, no, I don't think they're going to lose. No, I don't think it's going to be particularly close unless – they somehow turn the ball over two or three times in the first half. Minnesota feeds off that. With Ibrahim, they do have an experienced quarterback. They do have the Big Ten's leading rusher. They do have a coach that will probably have his guys going because it is a home opener. They haven't played Minnesota in a while either. You know, they they don't play often. So that all is the recipe for an upset there. Not really, because I think Stroud will settle in. I think didn't uh high state Open with Indiana on a Thursday a few years ago, I think. And uh, J.K. Dobbins ended up having a big game. So I think it could follow that formula where they run the ball, Travion Henderson makes some plays coming in, and they win the game. Now the second question, do I think they'll be challenged in the Big Ten? Probably not. I think this, there's a significant talent gap between them and everybody else. I think they have the best receiver room in the country, one that is comparable to what Bama had last year and LSU two years ago, and that's become the new game to me. I mean, if you can pitch and catch and make plays in space, I mean, it's not crazy to say that Ohio State has five first-round picks in their receiver room right now. 
and I don't think I've ever said that about anybody outside of maybe maybe the, one of those Miami teams in the early 2000s had that kind of firepower at the receiver position. Atlanta had that room two years ago when they had Waddle and Ruggs. And, I mean, Devontae Smith wasn't really quite Devontae Smith yet. But, um, yeah, I mean, you look at recruiting and you follow it, the last, like, three years have just been insane. Um, and it's kind of weird to say because their best current receiver, Chris Olave, is far and away the, like, lowest-rated recruit that will see the field. Um, he just kind of developed into this guy that, you know, looks like he's a lock to be one of the first receivers off the board come next draft. Um, but yeah, then they got Garrett Wilson and Julian Fleming and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, they're, they're obviously loaded at that position. And one of the things that I think people are wondering, and we've seen this news with alliances and all this other stuff that's coming out is the sort of dominance, I guess, that we've seen from Ohio State in the Big Ten, where it doesn't seem like anyone's really going to contend, Clemson to maybe a lesser extent in the ACC. Um, obviously, some people are pretty high on North Carolina, whether they can truly contend with Clemson, you know, time will tell. Um, it, it kind of feels like we're setting up to see this, like three of the same four in the playoff again. Um, Oklahoma's up there right now, too if someone's going to get in outside of the top four right now, it seems like there's a pretty strong consensus that it's going to be Bama, probably Clemson. If they get by Georgia this week, Ohio state and Oklahoma, um, who's most likely to get in there. Obviously the, one of the obvious answers would be Georgia if they can beat Clemson this week. But um, do you see a scenario or, or if you were predicting, who do you think is getting in? Well, I would almost approach the question like this and you start with, if you had to just pick one of those four that you mentioned to get in, I'd probably pick Ohio State because I don't think I don't see them losing. I think they'll beat Oregon. At worst, they lose one Big Ten game and then go win in Indianapolis. That that's just how I see see their season going. Clemson, at worst, I see them losing to Georgia and then winning out. So it'd probably be one of those two. Alabama's going to get test. They're they're going to get. I think they're going to take care of Miami this weekend, but I Texas A&M will test them. LSU could potentially test them, but that's a stretch. And Georgia will test them. Um, Oklahoma will get an honest run from Iowa State, but I don't know that Iowa State can beat them twice. So outside of those five, and I would put Georgia in that weight class too, you're probably looking at Notre Dame, as strange as it sounds. And I know they've got – a big question at quarterback with a guy that was very ordinary in Jack Cohen at Wisconsin. They've got a tough schedule with four top 15 teams, but to me, they still have an 11 and one schedule, maybe 10 and two. I think they'll beat Cincinnati. I think they'll beat North Carolina. I think they'll, the Wisconsin game will be very interesting for them because that's the one that, that they, if they get that one, they could go undefeated. So that top six, it's after you get outside that you start, I always call it you start to stretch a little bit when you make a playoff case for anybody outside that top six. Well, there you go. That's that's where I was going next. Give me a case for one team that's never made the playoff, um, a, a dark horse that might jump in there this year. If, if there was one team that was going to do it, who would it be? Well, I think A&M doesn't really count because they were right there last year. They, they like what they have coming back at defense. If you talk to – recruiting people around texas they really like haynes king so to me they're they're showing me moments october 9th when alabama comes into town and you know texas a&m hasn't beat 
Alabama since the Johnny Manziel game. And that was uh, the first one. The second one they lost in College Station. So that's that's as big a moment as any for that program that I can remember. So they're one. And then, you know, I think North Carolina is an interesting program to me because of what Max done in such a short time. They've got the quarterback that, you know, could go to the NFL and be a first-round pick. Um, but do they have enough? I don't know. And then I guess the third team would be, you know, Oregon's got a really unique opportunity here next week. If they take care of business Saturday and then they go out and they go to Columbus and win, I don't think they will, to be clear. But if they were to win and then win the Pac-12, maybe it's their turn to break through and break a drought for that conference that goes back to 16. All right. So I know you said you're looking forward to finally getting into some games after everything that happened this summer. But let's back up for just a second. There was a lot that happened this summer. The one that I wanted to ask you about, we saw, I believe here in August, this announcement of an alliance between the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12. I guess I'm a little unclear. What is this actually going to accomplish? It's going to probably stall the college football playoff expansion because they're all going to want it tailored to what they want to do. It's a... I don't even think it's a power check to the SEC because I've been telling people all along now that the SEC has Alabama or Oklahoma and Texas, they'll be fine with any playoff format. I'll say, if you want to go to eight, that's fine. 12, we're good. 16, we're good because the problem they've created for everybody else is that they probably have seven or eight of the best brands in college football. When there was that super talk league in the spring, Tom, you know, everybody kind of sketched out these would be your 16 Super League teams. Well, with Oklahoma and Texas, the SEC probably has seven or eight of those teams. You know, LSU, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, A&M is like on the fringe. Tennessee's probably on the fringe. Um, and then the big – but the thing with the Big Ten that I didn't understand was I don't know that they needed to do that. I think the Big Ten's fine where they're at. Like, I wouldn't go add Kansas and Iowa State just to add them unless you can get Notre Dame, which you can't. I mean, by TV rights till 2035, there's no need for them to grab two more schools because if you've talked to, you know, I know you guys are Big Ten fans as well. You know, the Rutgers-Maryland thing made sense at the time for TV purposes, but for competitive, competitive football reasons, that's not a move you needed to make. Mm. So what um, I guess part of what I what I assumed that it was is there's there's only so much, in my opinion, like the SEC. Yes, they have what is viewed as like the biggest brands, but most of those are not like large national brands. You don't have a huge alumni base all across the country for Alabama or Auburn or LSU. It's it's much more regional than than most like the Midwest schools are the big 10 schools and pack schools to a little bit lesser extent, but is it really a situation where the sec can dictate all of this stuff while only having about a third of the population? Can they really neglect like the rest of the country and just dictate, Hey, cause the vibe that I was sort of getting was like, Hey, you guys can do whatever the hell you want. We're going to do what we want. I don't know if I necessarily buy into that because while talent wise, yes, they're, they're going to be head and shoulders ahead of any other conference it's still, it's not going to appeal to people on the West coast. It's not going to appeal to East coast people or Midwest people. It's, 
I have a hard time seeing like how ESPN and all these companies, you know, ESPN is obviously the big one that has a big vested interest in that. Are they going to be able to sell these huge matchups that aren't really appealing to anybody else in the country? And if, if the ACC and the big 10 and the PAC 12 were to say, you know what, we think you guys are throwing your weight around a little bit. We're not scheduling you guys anymore. We're not like, we're not going to play into this, you know, buy into our own demise here. Um, is, is the SEC so strong that they can just, you know, sort of go their own way? Yeah, I mean, that's what we're going to figure out. I mean, I think from a regional standpoint, it's strong. I think adding Texas and Oklahoma was huge because now you have Texas, now you have Oklahoma. I think in the long run, that's going to benefit both of those programs. Oklahoma from a competitive standpoint more so because what they've lacked is that elite recruit you know, recruiting base, maybe in the trenches, they can get some kids from Florida and Georgia. Now, Texas is always going to, Texas falls under that. They're always going to be relevant. People always say they're not relevant. Well, they're they're the number one revenue making football program in the country. So they're always going to be relevant. Now, are they going to be successful on the field? That's a different question. So, but to your point, I think maybe the Alliance in some ways, When I thought we were going to have this next round of realignment, we're going to get two super conferences, I kind of envisioned an AFC-NFC type deal, only regional, to your point, that the South would be one regional conference, right? You'd get all those brands, maybe they take a couple Big 12 brands, and I think some of the ACC brands too, and then the Big 10 ACC and Pac-12 would form this coast to coast super conference. And I still don't think that's out of the realm of possibility down the line. Um, But again, like if we're looking just from playoff expansion wise, if you, if we were doing a 12 team playoff starting in 14, I've been telling people this the whole time, the big 12 or the big 10 would have the most playoff teams. The big 10 would have more at large teams than the sec. There remember that year in 16 where, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State were all playoff quality teams in a four-team setup. Wisconsin so was an eight that year. Right. So so it's not like they're hurting for playoff caliber teams. So that's where I was like, well, maybe I wouldn't have done it that way. But I think it's posturing. I, I think it's going to stall expansion, which is going to hurt because the next two years we already picked the playoff teams. Those will probably be the playoff teams again in 22 and maybe even 23. And then by 25, when the TV networks are settled and some of this realignment's cooled and, and people are kind of in the place they are, that's when I would say they might expand now, unfortunately. Why did these so, conferences uh, want to stall out that playoff expansion? Because it felt like back in the spring, everybody was on board with this and there was a ton of momentum towards expanding it out to 12. And then all of a sudden by like late summer we're hearing uh, athletic directors, university presidents saying they're flat out voting against it. Remember though, that, you know, I mean, you have not every conference is, is 100% in bed with ESPN. So if the big 10 all of a sudden concedes to a 12 team playoff, they're giving a whole bunch of revenue to ESPN Mm. because they can't renegotiate that. ESPN owns the college football playoff. And I think, in my opinion, I think a big reason they did it was they want, if they're going to expand it, 
they want it to be at a time when the contract is up and they can do sort of a competitive bidding process for whatever network is going to carry it next time. I guess as that. opposed to just saying, okay, let's make it 12 and you know, ESPN carries it and they just continue to choke the life out of any other network that's out there. No, I get what you're saying, but where I was going with that was that, you know, there was support for it initially. It wasn't like this was rejected out of hand for all the reasons you just outlined. And I'm just kind of wondering where along the line things changed. Bill, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, when Oklahoma and Texas went to the SEC, mm. that's when it changed to me because it then it became like when the 12 team playoff proposal came out, my first in, in, instinct was, well, this is ridiculous. Then I looked at the actual plan. I was like, Hey, that's really inclusive. There's, no, they're, they're the only hole in it was I would have liked to see games on campus in the quarterfinal round. But you had something where every – to me it was if you weren't in as one of those 12 teams, you really didn't have a gripe because it included the group of five. It included the – you know what I mean? It included the – How many of – so I, I did a little exercise. Sorry to interrupt you, Bill. No, I did good. a little bit of exercise to look at like what this would look like if we've had it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. How many teams have really been left out that have had a legitimate gripe anyways? Mm-hmm. It's not really that many. TCU and Baylor, maybe. Maybe. And they, then... Yeah, they split the Big 12. There's only been one outright Power 5 champ with only one loss that has been left out in the entire history of it. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. The the two simple rules well, there's three simple rules to get in a fourteen playoff right now. As I see, I I tell people that these are the three rules and they haven't been broken yet. One, be from a power five conference. That's just reality. Two, don't lose twice. Three, if you go undefeated in a power five conference, you're in. And Notre Dame obviously worked the system. So since this thing started, the only two teams that didn't win their conference in a power five and got in were Ohio state and Alabama and Alabama won it all in Ohio state. I, I believe they got beat down pretty good that year, but they were, yeah, that was the Clemson year. They, they, they had an argument that year though. Like that was the year that Michigan lost twice and Penn state lost a non-conference game and lost twice. So and Ohio state had been left out the prior year where Everyone right. knew they were probably better than Michigan State. They just lost that one yeah. game. So everything has been relatively fair to me in terms of the 14 playoff. Where where it gets dicey now is though we we kind of – I like the way I look at the college football season is you get excited for a movie, but you kind of know how it's going to end. You know, you know who the four teams are going to be in there. You know, like I said, it's funny – to me in some ways that Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma haven't all been in the playoff together. I don't know how that's happened, given how many playoff appearances they all have. Maybe there's room for one surprise in there, but all four of those teams will probably, at least three of them will get in this year. And then if we see that again next year, I think it's going to hurt the popularity of the sport. I mean, it'll start hurting the popularity of the sport when the casual fans start turning tuning out. And I've seen a little bit of that. You, you, I can make the argument last year. We can say it was COVID. We can say it was this, but I would have thought Alabama, Ohio state would have done a ton more uh, television viewers than it was. Now, granted Alabama beat them pretty good and maybe people tuned out, but that, that was low for that kind of brand matchup. So yeah. what, um, I guess as, as, I looked through like the possible scenarios and what it would have looked like. And I'm just assuming that the 
the CFP rankings would have been similar, even if it was a 12 team thing. Right. And assuming that power five conference champs get in. And if you're saying that the highest rated like group of five team gets in, that's a lot of like three lost teams that we're saying at the end of this season, these teams have lost three times, but we still think they deserve to play for a national championship. Do we get to a point where all of this energy to make the playoff more inclusive and the playoff generate more revenue um, really starts to make the regular season less significant? Now you can say that, yeah, those teams that are at the bottom of that ranking then have more meaningful games, but ultimately you're going to run into a scenario where Ohio state comes into Michigan week undefeated, nothing left to play for. Um, Entirely possible. I feel like those types of matchups and those types of scenarios are what sort of sets college football apart. Every team, every loss for a team matters. Like, even you can say there's a handful of teams that get in with one loss and yeah, occasionally teams like get mulligans, but no one gets two losses. Like every loss seems significant. If your team is a championship contender, I don't like the idea of walking away from like, like that Purdue game a few years ago where how just got their asses kicked. That sucked. But I'm of the opinion that it should. I don't, I don't like that. You can walk away from games like that being like, ah, it's okay. We get a do over. We'll be fine. We have a little more, you know, we can make another mistake. We could probably make two more mistakes and still get in. So, like, it doesn't feel like it's good for the regular season in terms of making sure that losses and wins still matter as much. But I I also will admit that I'm looking at this from as an Ohio State perspective where my team is always in contention, but a lot of of other teams aren't. Well, if it goes to 12, and this is the point I made, it's going to change the way you watch college football. And that's, and it's going to feel more like the NFL. And I think that's where we're headed anyway, with the, if the idea of a super conference, that's an NFL idea, a 12 team playoff, that is an NFL concept. And the one that I always tell people is, you know, and you guys will appreciate this being Cleveland guys is, um, I think it was like week six last year, Pittsburgh annihilated the Browns in at Heinz field. And there was talk, you know, Baker's gonna Baker's not the quarterback. You know, I forget what the score was. I have not heard that game referenced one time all summer because it didn't matter because the Browns beat the Steelers in the playoffs. And that could happen in college football. You could have a week five game where, you know, Michigan state beats Ohio state soundly. And I'm not saying that will happen anytime soon, given the rosters, but then they play again in the playoff. It will change the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. It will change the Iron Bowl. It will change those games. Not There won't be one single result that matters like it does in college football, but there might be that, uh, you know, that November weekend where 10 to 12 games really matter. Like in the NFL, week 17 is typically – week 16, week 17 is very exciting because there's playoff bursts on the line, those kind of things. And that's what the game's going to feel like. I don't think one single, you know, the the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, like 06 maybe doesn't matter as much. 16 and 18 don't matter as much. And they should matter, and there should be a penalty. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. That's the big reason why I love college football too. But it will take on 
more of an NFL field. I, if you went through that exercise, so I bet you dug up that uh, there's like an Ole Miss team that lost three games and lost 31 nothing to Arkansas. They might be a playoff team in this format. And people are going to have to accept that when we go to 12. Yeah, I mean, there's a year um, in 2016, um, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Teams that were ranked 8 through 12 all had three losses. Mm -hmm. So you're getting a three-loss team in the semifinal no matter what. Like, (laughs) I I have a hard time thinking that that's ultimately good, but... And part of it, too, is, you know... And I, you guys know, Tom, well, at least Tom knows, I'm like a huge Green Bay fan. So the difference between college football and the NFL is that nine or 10 seed doesn't have Tom Brady at quarterback. They don't have the talent accumulation that Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson and LSU and most college football seasons you go into. And this is a good example, like five, maybe six teams are capable of getting to the, well, I'd say the playoff. I don't think there's more than five teams capable of winning it all right now. Whereas the NFL, you could make a Super Bowl case this year for, I don't know, 10, eight, at least eight, maybe 10 teams to win the Super Bowl. And granted, it's quarterback driven, but the AFC alone, I mean, you got five teams right there that could win the Super Bowl. You got, you may have at least two in one division in the AFC North. Yeah, and I think I think the analogy that I look at and I hear it a lot is people always like to love pointing out, you know, adding more teams is great. Like everybody loves March Madness, which is true. Everybody loves March Madness, but there's two caveats there. One, March Madness probably at least half the time doesn't crown the best team. Like it, it's a tournament, yes, and the team who's playing best at the end of the season, but it's not the team who has the best body of work, rarely. Um, second, no one gives a shit about the college basketball regular season. Correct. And, and I know, don't know that we want to water down the college football regular season where every every team is all of a sudden thinking, you know, we can lose a game or two. I don't really need to tune in to watch this one because, you know, they've already got it locked up. And Ohio State's going to the Big Ten championship game, so they can rest their stars against Michigan. That game doesn't matter. Like, all this other stuff that I feel like is going to go along with it, yes, it might create a more entertaining TV product, but it's not a good way to find who the best team is, in my opinion. You just and answered I think your own question. Be, I think there's well, something they, to be said for having the best season, like putting together the best body of work from opening weekend to the end of the year and being the best team and being consistent, consistently excellent. And I don't know that you can say that there's four or five teams on a given year, more than four or five teams on a given year, that can truly say, yeah, all year we were one of the best teams. Well, and it, it comes down to, do you believe in, so to me, I think Tom and I, did you, so Tom, I don't know if you, so Tom and I both went to OU, right? Ohio University. And yeah, go Bobcats. To, to explain it to you this way is the Cinderella factor. I always say college football, for those of you that have seen the movie and have daughters like I do, College football keeps Cinderella in the attic. They, they don't let her out. They, they never do. There's no such thing as a Cinderella in college football. And the best Cinderella story in a college football setting is, honestly, it's like Auburn in 2010. But they had Cam Newton. It's Ohio State in 2014 with 35 NFL dudes. That's college football's idea of a Cinderella story. And then college basketball they sell that so effectively because if you're an OU grad, yeah, I mean, when they beat Virginia, I was 
through the roof. Even though the reality was, you know, in the back of your head, OU's not going to the Final Four. We won our game. We, we might beat Creighton. And, and that's what I was trying to explain. So if OU ever got like a 12 seed in the 12-team playoff, I'd be jacked out of my mind. I'd be so excited about it. And then I'd realize they're playing Georgia. And then that wouldn't be fun about an hour and a half into that game, nine times out of ten. And then even if they win that one, they're getting smoked the next round. There's no way, in my opinion, that a group of five school, even one as good as Cincinnati and what they've got going right now, could win three or four playoff games. Is it time to stop pretending that the group of five and the power five are even the same division? Well, that's going to be the big debate, too. So, like, you have this existential question as a Mac graduate that would you rather make the 12-team playoff or would you rather play a group of five national championship game against, you know, they, any given year? It could be, like, against App, could be against Boise, you know, the usuals. Mm-hmm. And they could play their own national title game. But that would feel like – the FCS. And and I think the reason why the group of five isn't going to do that, at least in the short term, is they would, would the power five fan that isn't a absolute college football junkie watch the semifinal between OU and San Jose state? Probably not. I'm just being honest. Like how many people really watch FCS semifinal? And I think they don't want to be marginalized. And that's a big reason why I think they're going to, but who's watching them now? Like I watch them on Thursdays because I love matching. Because but... it's on ESPN and they're right. taking that TV money and right. people gamble on it. But you know, but like those, I... those schools are getting that ESPN money. I'd wager they're still probably losing money. Well, I bet a lot of those Mac schools are still losing money. It's not profitable for them. Um, and if you're looking at like for the actual student athlete the, the football player at OU the football player at Akron or Toledo or whoever I would bet that overall experience going into a season knowing that if you have a really good season you can win something significant at the end of the season is a lot better than the Cincinnati kids this year who although they might be telling themselves that they're going to have a chance they won't and like it was a UCF a couple years ago that went undefeated they don't have a chance. Like we're already telling them this. And if we're going to say, yeah, okay, we'll get a 12 game or 12 team playoff and we'll force these guys, we'll force one of you every year. One of you will maybe have a chance to get into this. Although last year it would have been two. Um, I think they can sell themselves on that in the 12 team playoff. And even if it's not feasible, I think they'll talk themselves into it. And I, Cincinnati's a different example for me because I look at their program right now and I see 90s Michigan, honestly. I see what they Luke's been able to accomplish recruiting Ohio kids, not necessarily um, the five-star kids, but that's what Michigan did in the 90s. They, they recruited Ohio well. They got, I'm not saying Cincinnati's going to go out and hang with Ohio State because we saw that two years ago, but that's what Luke Fickle's done. He's taken all those good kids and built – I mean, they were – do I think they'd win a playoff game? No, but, I mean, they showed that they could at least play with Georgia, but I don't think they could do it three times. That's my thing is, like, if you want playoff expansion, you're in, but now you've got to win three games against teams you're outmanned against. And I don't 
I don't know if that's possible. I think Cincinnati is a different case to me than the American Athletic Conference is different to me than the Sun Belt and the Conference USA and the MAC and Mountain West because those schools, you know, some of those American Athletic Conference schools are board. Cincinnati, Central Florida, even Boise State and the Mountain West, those are borderline Power Five schools to me. Yeah, I would definitely say. I mean, especially if you're looking at, at them compared to like some of like those teams yeah. in the the Power Five conferences that are in the bottom half of the standings. Those are clearly stronger programs. Do you than... think Cincinnati, Travis? Do you think Cincinnati could win the Big Ten West? That's a good question. I would. I'd probably say no, but I'm not confident in that. I feel like, like I, I, I think I feel they... like if you if they had to go against Wisconsin. Iowa, Northwestern. If they're going against those teams four weeks in a row, they're probably going to drop a couple of them. Right. Um, but, but honestly, I, I don't. I don't really know. Like, it's hard to say, right? I think the only only any, thing we saw was them against yeah. Georgia last year, and Georgia was at like 75 percent. I think they could beat any one of them on, on a, a given day, week, but I don't think they'd go nine and zero in the Big Ten West. I That's kind of like how I look at it. Like they could beat Wisconsin, but they could lose to Iowa the next week. And that's what's interesting about that program to me is that they they have built that. Do I think UCF would win the SEC? No. Even on those years when they were good, no. They, they would get beat a few times. And that's – and, again, these are those big-picture questions because I do think all of this stuff, and it kind of brings the conversation full circle, is everything that – and Tom asked this earlier. Everything that happened this summer to me points to – 25 to 30 college football brands with NIL, which we didn't even mention, going off and doing their own thing eventually. The the biggest uh, money makers are probably going to go do their own thing at some point. That was the- I've kind of contended for a while that I think that that's how it should be. Like Because you say like how many people are going to watch if, if the, the group of five go and become their own division, how many people are going to watch the playoffs. I feel like there's a pretty significant – segment of like look at ohio there's how many like mac grads in ohio a lot right like the huge segment and and the midwest in general has a lot of them i feel like people like that if they if like how many ou people are watching football now very i think trev the one thing you you bring up a lot is like alumni base and i think you put way too much stock in that like i didn't go to ohio state but i'm still watching ohio state games and just because you know Alabama's alumni network doesn't really extend out of the Southeast as far um, as maybe Ohio State's does out of Ohio. Uh, you know, I, I still think given their stature, that that's a power brand that's going to, you know, you don't, you didn't have to go to an SEC school to care about Alabama. I think, I think if you went outside of the South, I don't think you're going to find many Alabama fans. I think you're going to find a lot of people who are interested in them. Just, I mean, they're they're the the premier program of college football and have been for as long as Nick Saban's been there, pretty much. Yeah, there's but, a lot of people that will watch them because they're a very good team. But if if all of a sudden Alabama and, and the SEC just says we're going to do our own thing, the, the that random fan who's like I watch Alabama a lot because I want to see how Alabama impacts the team that I'm interested in. Well, I'm not tun- tuning in anymore if all of a sudden they're of no consequence to the team that I'm interested in. If they well, get the and, backing of ESPN, you can well, yeah. <laughs> wait and see what happens. Well, they well, already I do. They already have. Right. Some, of it, 
some of what all this has done is forced it's also forcing people like you said like when i was growing up you know in central ohio i'm 41 years old you grow up as a kid in that part of the country there's kind of a progression of games you watch during the day and it was you watched ohio state you watched michigan you watched notre dame i went to a catholic school you watched notre dame because you know a lot of my buddies were irish fans so and then but if you when I moved down to Charlotte and I lived down the South for seven years, they, those, I think sometimes we overestimate here how much people care down. They don't care. I mean, I think the, honestly, I think the only program programs that they care about in the sec, if an S is casual, an sec fan is watching a big 10 game. The only team they're watching is Ohio state and they may watch Michigan when they're losing so they can make fun of Jim Harbaugh like everybody else does, right? And they don't like Notre Dame, that's for sure. But I don't think they care about Notre Dame to the extent of maybe they did when Notre Dame was legit national championship contender in the 80s. Then people in the South probably hated them, especially in Alabama because of what happened you know, with that split national title way back in the 60s. So I, I do think we overestimate that just like – I told them down there, I was like, when I was a kid, I, I did not care about Auburn, Alabama. I did not care about LSU wasn't good. I didn't really like the, the games outside the bubble then that you cared about was probably like, honestly, like Nebraska, Oklahoma, which doesn't even exist. And then, you know, you watched USC a little bit because of the PAC 12 and, and you knew they may bump into the big 10 champion in the Rose bowl. So what the playoff has done now is you you have to care somewhat to watch football nationally, but unless you're a diehard junkie, like I'll stay up and watch the Pac-12 at 1030. I have to for my job. But if I wasn't a national writer at Sporting News, would I stay up and watch Arizona State play on Saturday? Probably not. I'd was probably that for a go- humble brag? No. I like, wasn't a national reporter for no, the Sporting no, News. It wasn't. That's just telling you <laughs> that's my kidding. interest in the sport. Like – would I sit there, but I sit there and watch, you know, Pac-12 games? No, because I probably wouldn't care as much. That's more what I'm trying to say. Whereas like in the NFL, I'm watching the Sunday night game no matter what, you know, for fantasy purposes, for, and it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I, I, I could be working at the post office with my mother and I would watch the Sunday night game, no, no matter who's playing. And I think that's the difference right now. I want the record to reflect there is absolutely nothing wrong with coming home on a Saturday night, making a bowl of ramen noodles, and falling asleep with an Arizona State game at one in the yeah. morning. Well, I have to stay awake, unfortunately. So <laughs> some of the, and some of those games run long, man. Those eleven eleven. I think it's just a product of getting older. Where, like, that's an ele- that's a ten forty five kickoff. Are you serious? I so, was going to say I've I've watched a lot of those ten forty five kickoffs. I have not watched very many of those uh, two a.m. fourth quarters. right and well that's and we got that this weekend but yeah i think it's forcing us to watch it more nationally and that's a good thing but it will impact how we watch the regular season college football is changing man and and meanwhile we uh, are still going to end up with the same four teams in the playoff at the end of the year it's a it's a weird paradox but uh here we are Bill, I uh, I know you probably got to get running. I got one oh, question uh-oh, real quick. Uh-oh. Bill, sure. when's Scott Frost getting fired? Yeah. Well, here's the thing I was saying. How has this failed so spectacularly? Okay. 
here's what I would do if I was Nebraska, or at least I would entertain it. I think it was brought to the light last Saturday in spectacular fashion is that, so again, to make this regionalized again, you know, when you're Nebraska, the Nebraska we know from, like, I, I have a 10-year-old son, and I was telling him about this. I said, he asked me, who's the best college football team you've seen in your lifetime? And, like, without hesitation, I said, 95 Nebraska. Like, that's the best team I've ever seen. And he's like, what do you mean? Alabama has this team, this team, this team. I said, well, that team didn't throw the ball, and they didn't have to. And then they smothered you on defense. They beat Miami. They beat Florida. Um they can't think like that anymore, though. And I think if I was Nebraska and Scott Frost, they'd move on from Scott Frost, which is a distinct possibility. I would hire somebody like Brett Bielema. I mean, you know, and I'm saying that in that Brett Bielema has been in the Big Ten between two stints for 15 years, right? You guys are smirking. There's something going on here. No, uh, no, no. I'm uh, I just I saw Trev's eyes get really wide. I was <laughs> Someone like I mean, I'm saying like 15 years in the Big Ten has won at Wisconsin, won that game last week going 3.5 yards at a time with a backup quarterback, and can win ugly in the Big Ten West. Nebraska doesn't, you know, Iowa wins like that their way. They're not. Are they going to win national title? No. Do they expect to win one? Probably not. Wisconsin's been winning that way for years. Um, they have to start there before they can think national title because that they, they're uh, two and six, I think against, they haven't beat Wisconsin. They haven't beat Iowa or they think they may beat Iowa once they haven't beat. They're not beating Northwestern. You need to hire somebody that knows the big 10 that knows. I think they're in a tough spot because they want to recruit Texas and Oklahoma, but to win in the big 10, you've got to recruit the Rust Belt. There's a difference. And this is a, argument I have with the St. Louis guys that work at Sporting News, there's a difference between the Midwest and the Rust Belt. You have to be able to recruit the Rust Belt, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, PA, and they don't do that. So that's their pro. That's like their existential problem as a program is that it's not the nineties. It'll never be the nineties again. I don't know how you recruit at elite level there. And I don't know even if the guy they get behind Frost and, – and I also think that the comparisons to Harbaugh are ridiculous because Jim Harbaugh's won a little bit. He hasn't gone – he's not losing to Purdue. He's not losing to Illinois. He's losing to Ohio State. That's what it really boils down, down to in Ann Arbor. They, they can't beat Ohio State and they can't beat top ten teams. Scott Frost can't beat anybody right now, and I think that's the problem. Well, Bill, uh, appreciate you uh... – making some time for us. I know it's a super busy week for you. And uh, we, uh, you, you, you told us you'd give us 30 minutes and you've gone well up, well past that a lot of times. So uh, thanks. Always good to catch up with you and uh, let's have some fun this year watching college football. Absolutely guys. And uh, thanks so much. And uh, I'll talk to you again. Let's do this a couple more times in the season. Sounds good. Bill Bender, Sporting News. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. 
There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the checkered flag. Well, Trav, late on Sunday afternoon, you sent me a text asking if I had been paying attention to what was going on with a certain high school football game that was airing on ESPN. I'd been off the grid most of the day, but of course I am referring to the game between the powerhouse IMG Academy and the mysterious, dare I say, clandestine school from Central Ohio by the name of Bishop Sycamore. This started off as a pretty funny story about a ragtag program kind of scheming its way into a national TV appearance on ESPN. But my God, this thing got dark in a hurry. Yeah, it's it was it was one of those things that was really fascinating. And you're like, how the hell did this get past everybody? Like, ha ha ha. This is ridiculous. And you're right. Like, the more we look into it, it's like, this is legit legitimately fucked up like yeah I the mean, biggest thing that sort of jumped out at me when we when i was watching it on sunday was a they said they had these players that were good like they told in order to book the game and to get it on espn they they lied to some people said they had some division one athletes on their team okay right. they don't they're getting boat raced nobody on this team is any damn good we then find out they played a game on friday right which is pure negligence like say what you want about scamming their way into a game and getting these kids to come play and all that stuff that's the one that like legitimately puts the kids health at risk especially when a bunch of them are playing two ways yeah a lot of them and you see kids running off the field passing off helmets to each other because they don't all have their own helmets and stuff like that like nothing about this is on the up and up and it has somehow gotten more and more and more bizarre oh yeah so, you know, to your point about their the players' rankings and the, you know, recruiting lists and whatnot being wildly oversold, you know, ESPN, their announced crew, really washed their hands of this as quickly as they possibly could and flat out admitted that they couldn't verify a lot of the information that had been presented to them. Uh, they said this as early as, I think, the second quarter when it became immediately apparent as to like what a mismatch that game was. And um, yeah, like you had mentioned, they had just played two nights before that, uh, you know, and really, like you said, every time there's been another story about this that's come out and there have been quite a few of them in the three days since it just keeps getting worse and worse. There have been, you know, stories about charges of fraud unpaid bills for for vendors um that had been you know supporting the program um dangerous living conditions for the players i think there was one um who you know former players said that they you know had lost their housing and uh they had to like rob stores just to get food to eat um really really bad yeah like everything about it is is pretty ridiculous and there's a long thread 
um, that our buddy Ben Koo had on Awful Announcing um, of, of like a, a message board argument, basically, from a few weeks ago of the guy who seems to be pretty central to the arrangement. And it's too in-depth for us to really go into right now. Um, but basically, like, there's no one vetting any of this is what it really boils down to. And there's a couple people. The weirdest thing about this is they they just did this a few years ago. Right. Under a different name, got caught. They've got, like, lawsuits against them for the fraud and everything. They've been ripping off all these vendors. It honestly seems like they tried this thing, probably made a little bit of money over a couple of years, and just said, you know what? Change the name. Let's try it again. And it's wild that, and I think the thing that's kind of damning is it's pretty apparent that there's some adults for these other teams. IMG probably seems like St. Ed's might be one of them. Ignatius might be one of them. Like they've seen these people before. They were under a different name before, but they they didn't pull the wool over everyone's eyes. There are some people out there that know who they're scheduling. So you mentioned Ben Koo. Um, folks, if you want to get the full details on this whole story, we're not going to get into everything here. Uh, go to awfulannouncing.com. Ben has had more coverage on this than anybody. He's been beating everybody on every Everyone, aspect of the story. It's, it's been incredible. He has owned this thing from the jump and, uh, you know, one of the things he had was an interview with either a current or former OHSAA administrator who basically said they had figured out what was going on here and had warned a bunch of schools that were on schedule for this program, this Bishop Sycamore program. And some of the schools said, okay, thanks for the heads up. We're, you know, we don't want to do business with a, with a program like this. And they canceled their games. Other ones, I'm not entirely sure if it was, they felt like they had contracts that they had to honor, or if they were just in a position where they felt like they were not going to be able to schedule any sort of a replacement and they would rather play that game than no game at all. Um, some of those schools still went through with it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, um, the other thing, so I've just got so many questions. The more I read about this, the more I learn about it. There is a, a, a member of the media here in Northeast Ohio, uh, who strongly implied as this was going on on Sunday, that everyone in the Northeast Ohio football community pretty much knew everything that was going on here long before it came to light on ESPN and my immediate reaction to that was, if that's true, why did nobody blow the whistle on this sooner other than, I guess you could say, the OHSAA? Although, I mean, because this is not an OHSAA member school, I mean, the association was really kind of limited in what they could do. But, I mean, the stuff that we're talking about here goes way beyond just football competitiveness and you know, things on the field. I mean, there were, there was, I, I believe criminal activity going on here. Um, I don't understand how it got to this point before, you know, this became like a story. Yeah. By all accounts, these other teams are giving money to 
this, I don't know who they're giving it to, whether it's administrators, coaches, whatever, to this organization, this school, I'm doing air quotes, you can't see it, but this school that has countless lawsuits against them where they owe other people money who they have just ripped off and take, like, there's hotels that they were bouncing checks with, vendors they were bouncing checks with, like, they've basically been cashing checks for all this stuff, but not paying anyone for it. Um, at least under the old banner of, what is it? Christian. COF. Something, COF. I don't remember what it stands for, but they're the old name and they're doing, I, I have to assume they're doing that all again um, because they're doing like fundraisers online to like pay for stuff and like all this crap. It's just, it's, Every, every time a new story comes out, you're like, Jesus, how did this get to this point? Like, how did anyone do this? And speaking of, like, local media members, there came another report today that a local media member down in Columbus, who, former Ohio State, uh, Buckeye J. Richardson, who works for, I think, ABC6 down there, um, has been very closely associated with this team. He says he was not, but there's an abundance of evidence that would say otherwise. Uh-oh. Um, and they've had a little bit of coverage on their channel about it without really disclosing that, yeah, this guy that works for us might be pretty involved with that as well. Um, so not the best look. Um, everything about it is just insane. And it seems like it's just getting more and more out of hand. It'll be interesting to see what happens like with the people that are actually involved with it full disclosure, like people that aren't really familiar with high school football and like how schedules are pulled together the way that like in Ohio, at least the way that like playoffs work and the way you get into playoffs is by winning games and with like a point system. So if you're a team like St. Ed's in Northeast Ohio, there's not a whole lot of teams that want to play you because they're probably going to lose and it's going to hurt their chances of getting points to get in the playoffs. Um, so they do sometimes have to get desperate and find these teams from other places who are willing to take that on, right? So it's not crazy to see them go against teams that are from from another state or another city um, who you've never heard of and maybe aren't all that good, but they need to fill their schedule somehow. Um, but all of the stuff that's gone into like creating this this bishop sycamore just blows your mind and you have no idea how it ever got this far and how no one has done anything about it yet well the one and, thing and you kind of wonder if they weren't on tv the other day nothing would have happened well okay hold that thought but okay. um I, I, I do think the uh ohsaa you know you were you were talking about computer points and whatnot for the playoff rankings. I'm pretty sure anybody that's playing Bishop Sycamore, they're not eligible to get any points for a win in the, that game. Like the OHS. Right. I'm not talking about the teams playing Bishop Sycamore to get right. points. I'm talking about teams don't want to play a team like St. Ed's because right. they're not getting points. So yeah. Ed's looking to fill their 10 games. They've got, you know, they're, they're, so that's when it comes down to for them. Play, play these Ed's guys like, or we play nobody. Fucking schedule. Who's going to play us. Right. And this seems like, all right, we'll play you. And they'll say, all right, let's go. Whatever. Like, so, yeah, under when it was FOC or COF or whatever the hell it was, when it was the other name, they had to release a thing and tell these other teams, you're not going to get points for this game. 
Right. Like that was the thing that happened after they scheduled them. So Ed's canceled it after the fact. Why they came back and scheduled them again after that debacle, no idea. Um, but yeah, it's it's there's so many layers to it, and it seems like by the time this thing gets released, there's going to be some other bombshell. Ben, we're waiting with bated breath. Yeah, um, I, I I believe several of the teams that were remaining on their schedule have since canceled games with yeah, them. Yeah, I think I saw most, <laughs> if not all of them. Like, they had a limited schedule as it is. I think they only had eight games on their schedule. Um, they had a ninth game. <laughs> That's the funny thing. If you looked on Max Preps, they had their schedule on there, and it's every opponent that we've heard about. That game from Friday was mysteriously missing. Mm. <laughs> which I, would have set off alarm bells for everyone that was looking into this team all of a sudden. I don't know if it's an actual account affiliated with them, but apparently there was a tweet from the Bishop Sycamore football program, uh, or at least an account claiming to be with them saying that they were looking for a game in week five. Uh, they tweeted that out there today. So best of luck to them finding someone to play them in week five. I, I, you know, they've lost a bunch of their matchups for the rest of this year. I'm pretty sure the coach has since been fired. Um, but yeah, getting back to where you were starting to go a minute ago, that's the other thing I just keep thinking about. If this team was not comically bad on what amounts to being pretty much the biggest stage you can be on for a high school team playing a game on ESPN, you know, let's say they just lose by like three touchdowns or something, you know, they get beat, they get handled, but you know, it's at least semi-respectable. Does any of this ever come to light or does this just keep, you know, moving along uh, with little pushback? Yeah, I mean, I'd even counter, even if they're exactly as bad as they were, even if they lose 58 nothing, but they're not on ESPN and no one is actually looking at the players. Like, if, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar, IMG Academy is just a football powerhouse. It's not really a high school. Calling it a high school is is bending the term a little bit it's loaded with division one prospects it's arguably the most talented team in the country year after year after year so if you go online and you look and you say ah img beat this team 58 nothing ha 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 like whatever we all go about our day and we don't think anything of it like last year i'm looking at their schedule from last year they beat several teams by 40 points or more well, they, um, they beat Bishop Sycamore last year, 56 to six. They beat I think that's your answer. 7, 52, eight. Like exactly. The fact that there was all these people who were sitting at home flipped on ESPN to watch a game. Cause what else are you doing on Sunday when there's, there's no college football on, you might as well watch some football. So you're watching this team. You're like, how the f- fuck did this team get on TV being this bad? Because you assume if ESPN, ESPN's picking the games that are appealing, right? They're picking games that should be somewhat entertaining, relatively even. Like there's not many teams that are even with IMG, but relatively even. Give them talent, enough talent, enough helmets for the whole team. Like all these things should be there. And everyone's sitting around like, what the hell's going on? And the more you listen to it, when the ESPN guys are like, listen, we thought they had some guys that appears to not be the case at all. Like at one point the coach refused to use like a running clock. Yeah. Like, well, that was the other thing. So I, I, I believe the way this game came together, ESPN contracts with some sort of like a a marketing Mm -hmm. firm. And that company is responsible for putting these games together for ESPN. So, you know, I think that really is why ultimately if it's airing on ESPN, broadcast 
you know, one of their properties, the buck stops with them. But there were other parties involved to getting this game on the air that probably have to answer for this as well. So Mm -hmm. just, yeah. Well, I mean, there should have been some point you, you probably wonder like, what could they have done at this point? But there should have been some point over the weekend where ESPN was like, something doesn't seem right here. Like we just got like a random printout of this roster with a like 20 some names on it. None of them have numbers. Um, Like we don't know shit about any of these kids. ESPN owns a recruiting database. They should have looked in that recruiting database and said, okay, who's in here from this school? Like by all accounts, I assume that the guys calling these games do a little bit of research beforehand. They want to know who they're talking about, right? Like we all assume that the guys calling these games just sort of flip the TV on and they know all these teams. These guys do a lot of homework before games to prepare. So they know who they're talking about. They know who's doing what they're familiar with the players, all that sort of stuff. They knew nothing about anyone on this team. And again, it sort of raises the question, like even if on like Saturday afternoon, they say, listen, guys, this seems like a fucking scam. Like This team is not who they say they are. What could they have really done about it? Who knows? But that- yeah, I, I was going to say that was one of the first things I texted you as I started to hear about this was, you know, add to my list of questions, how many, you know, layers of, you know, how many different points could there have been that they had, you know, where this could have been stopped that they have to clear before this game actually got on the air on the field. Mm-hmm. It the, the number of things that had to fail for that to happen is just staggering. Yeah, it's it's one of these. There's a there's a handful of these stories over the years that I like remember from sports that were just bizarre, and just you know sucked my attention in for like a week. Um, this is going to be one like ten years from now. I still remember like following along with this ridiculous story. Um, I don't know what happens. The thing that's the thing that's crazy is there's like a fair amount of kids who, and I heard from a guy whose kid played at a high school in Columbus who their, their, um, their season got canceled last year. So the dad's like, well, I want him to play somewhere so he can get some tape and possibly go to a college. The kid's now at like Youngstown State. And I can kind of see how this dad was like, well, shit, I want him to play something. I want to try and save a season for him. He's not going to be able to play. This school says they can offer him that. I can see how someone would get like drawn into that and fall for it. Um, and so that's that's really the the worst part about it, like I don't really care about IMG Academy losing, you know, five, 10, 20 grand, whatever it is. I don't care about the money part of it. There's a lot of kids who are getting like royally screwed over by this entire operation who are getting nowhere near what they're told they were going to get when they signed up. Um, and again, you wonder how it got this far, got to this point. And it's probably a good thing that it was on ESPN. Cause otherwise, like we said, no one will be talking about it and they'd be, playing, I don't know, whoever the hell they had this week, Eds or whoever the fuck it is. Uh, last thing I will say on this, my favorite part of this whole story was the fact that this fake school was named after a bishop who never existed. Who didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. And, and I guess, like, I personally did not know much about bishopness. Like, I know that there's like a Bishop Watterson and, um, Archbishop Moeller, I think. Like, I know that those exist. 
I didn't know that those were like people who worked at a specific church or who like were, you know, priests at a specific church at a specific time or whatever it is. But you know that they were just sitting there and like, all right, let's make this sound like like a legit, like legit real deal school. So like Sycamore is a upscale suburb of Cincinnati, like one of the wealthier school districts down there it's like right next to indian hill and my hunch is that they just looked at like two schools and they're like all right let's just mash those together um but yeah it's named after someone who didn't exist and by all accounts it's all just utter bullshit and they have no like real explanation for it and the the funniest part to me is there's still a couple people like trying to dig in their heels online and pretend that like they're on the up and up, which is kind of embarrassing to watch, but also entertaining as a, as a innocent bystander. Bex Welker on Twitter. Yeah. You don't know her. She goes to Bishop Sycamore. (laughs) And that's, it's funny because one of the first memes I saw was one of these random, fascinating, outrageous stories that I remember following very closely, which is the Manti Teo one. It's like, yeah, Manti Teo, my girlfriend, she goes to Bishop Sycamore. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, I remember that story too. That was a wild time. Oh my. Um, but yeah, I I mean, I, I really hope that it's not one of these stories that just kind of falls off the radar. I could see them just like packing up in it and no one really talking about it after this week. Um, and I want to see sort of what the resolution is, if there is any. Um, but who knows what that'll be, you know? It's, it's one of those stories that's fascinating now. Eventually, in the, probably in the very near future, um, people will lose interest because it'll be if there's anything that's going to happen, it's going to be like, oh, either the school disbands and all these kids go other places, no one cares anymore, or there's like legal proceedings and then that takes forever and no one cares anymore, right? So it's like it kind of feels like unless there's more details about how it got to this point, which at this rate there will be, um, there's not going to be much like resolution. It's kind of ju- just going to fizzle out, but. Um, until then, I'll keep following along because I'm I'm absolutely hooked on this story as a whole. Full on car crash appeal. You just it's wild. It, it's unbelievable. It just. is wild. I will admit, like on Monday, as I was following along with the story, there was a bunch of people that like kept coming out with stories. Um, like the Athletic came out with one, ESPN came out with one, I think Cleveland.com. Like all these people are coming out with stories. Every story I read, I'm like, oh, Ben already told me this. This isn't new. <laughs> um, so I just I gave up following anybody else. I'm like, if there's something that I need to know. Ben Cool will tell me it before anybody else knows about it. Um, so yeah, if you're someone who like kind of casually saw this story and didn't look into it, or you're listening to this now and you're like, what the hell are they talking about? Go to Awful Announcing. They have everything you will want to know. And it's it's just, a, it's a black hole. You're going to get sucked into it because it's every like paragraph you read, you're, you're a little more confused as to how this ever happened in the first place. It would have everything you would want to know. And trust me, there is a lot to know. It's going to be a great 30 for 30. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was going to say 30 for 30 Netflix. Somebody's yeah, going to be some sort of mini series. There's years. gotta be something. Yes. 100%. No question. All right, bud. We, uh, we good. Yeah. Go bucks. All right. As a reminder, you can subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and other podcast listening platforms. We're also available on waitingfornextyear.com. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thanks again to Bill Bender 
from the Sporting News for joining us earlier. We will catch you next time on The Nail in the Coffin, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.